the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. When it comes to your investments and retirement, in this economy, it's important to be smart. And with the Smart Investor Hour heard right here on AM 1420 The Answer, you'll get both smart and intelligent information you'll need to help with your investing. So sit back, listen, and learn with your host of the Smart Investor Hour, Tim Hayes of RBC Wealth Management. Good morning, everybody. I hope you've uh, got great plans for Labor Day weekend, and I hope you have a happy one. Let's just start out with one quote. Character, not circumstances, make the man. That was Booker T. Washington. Invented a few things. Anyway, uh, you know, we start school next week, or we've probably already started school in most places around Ohio. Uh, but after Labor Day, we have a sense that fall's coming, and it's time to get our stuff together, okay? So if you don't have your investing act together, why don't we sit down and have a cup of coffee? If you go to WHK1420 and uh, go local podcast down to Tim Hayes, you can go directly to my webpage. It's got all sorts of good stuff on there. And, uh, you know, Market Week, which is a news, and then also has Investor's Edge, which is a, like a quarterly newsletter, the daily technical analysis, a bunch of stuff on interest, interest rates. We've been saying interest rates will be lower for longer for a long time now, five years, six years now, okay? And uh, people didn't believe us. And uh, I'm going to talk about bonds here in a second. But uh, anyway, if you'd like to have a cup of coffee, that's the place to go. We we also have our best ideas, our newsletter, uh, our dividend growth portfolio, our prime income list, that type of thing is available. The The newsletter is, is talking about do millennials need life insurance. Uh, I just had a conversation with two millennials uh, Wednesday. And we, we talked about that in long-term care, too. Uh some retirement lessons from today's retirees. There's a whole bunch of other stuff there. Uh, we're probably going to have, um, I don't know if I can get this done. I might not be able to get it done, but in November I may have a, uh, uh, a seminar about rewriting retirement. Uh, also, you know, I keep talking to people about both sides of your balance sheet. Uh, you know, we're in the process of trying to help a gentleman buy some equipment for his uh, company. And uh, we're, we're using his balance sheet to do the job. And it's amazing. Uh, you know, I highly recommend this, the Savvy Investor's Credit Workbook. Uh, it's something that most of us uh, don't do well, uh, but rich people do it extremely well. They use both sides of their balance sheet. Debt is not bad, okay? It's not bad, trust me. Uh, but you can get that by just hitting the contact me or email me uh, scenario. You know, um the cutoff to rank among the world's 50 most valuable sports teams is about $2 billion, up about $125 million from last year, and $1.2 billion, by the way, from five years ago. Uh, the values of sports teams have skyrocketed on the backs of a lot of these media rights that they get, uh, rights deals, and, and some uh, really, uh, I would call it owner-friendly collective bargaining, uh, bargaining deals uh, that restrain player costs, which is you know what they need. Anyway... Um, 85 million U.S. families own a pet, representing 68% of U.S. households. Uh, this has increased total veterinarian care spending from $4.9 billion to $35 billion. Uh, that's three times faster than the U.S. Uh, domestic gross product. And, you know, I, I way long ago in the show, I talked about, uh, I had a question, and I remember it was from Caroline, and I don't know where Caroline is these days. Uh, when we used to record live, she asked me, uh, uh, about pets, and I, and I suggested a company called IDEX Labs. <laughs> it's still going up. It's it's been unbelievable. Uh, you know, it's it, it's way up there now, so I'm not recommending it or anything like that. But it was a tremendous call at that point. Uh, the majority of the baby boomers are still in the labor force. The oldest among them are staying in the labor force at the the highest annual rate for people uh, their age in more than half a century. In 2018, 29% of the boomers between 70, uh, 65 and 72 uh, were working or looking for work, outpacing the labor market engagement of silent generation uh, and the greatest generation. So uh, there you go, folks. Uh, 
you know, I, I talked a while back about uh, convertible bonds, and you know, it's amazing. Uh, I you know, I, I just John Calamos uh, sent me a book uh, from from Calamos Investments. He's a great guy, by the way. I met him on an airplane one time, and he sent me a book with a he he signed it, which is very nice of him. But look, convertibles can't provide what market timing can't. Okay, in that what they do is they hold up better in down markets. And uh, what I thought was interesting, uh, you, you know, to me anyway, is, is some of the things that I saw. Here's some facts about convertible bonds that I like. Since 1973, converts have outpaced the S&P 500 by an average of 2.6 annually with a beta of, of three quarters or 0.75. So they they don't have the wild swings that they do, but they're beating them by 2.6%. 2.6% from 1973 per year is huge, just huge. Now, uh, there's a there's an article in Barron's on convertibles. Uh, it was written up this week. It's called, As Uncertainty Rises, Investors May Find Refuge in the Defensive Attributes of, of uh, Convertible Bonds. And I, I'm just suggesting that uh, there's some good stuff going on out there. Look, the VIX, the volatility index, the fear index, has spiked almost 100% since July 1st, uh, 31st. And, you know, quarter, the third quarter and fourth quarter predictions are across the board. Some money managers are calling for a 5 10% pullback, a, a, a buying opportunity. Others are calling for a 6% increase. You know, the bottom line is if you stay invested in these type of markets, uh, it's something to think about. And, Convertible bonds are a way to do it. Okay, um, you know this. The trade the trade deal continues to get uh, a lot of news, and as it should. Uh, and you know, I think uh, the inverted yield curve and and the prospects for an, a recession are there too. So, so those who believe a recession is not likely cite stronger con, uh, consumer activity here in the U.S. Uh, spurred by very strong employment numbers and wage growth that has uh, come over the last 18 months. However, capital investment has been very weak link. And in some prior recessions, uh, it is enough to drag the economy down by itself. And that's what's this, that's what the uh, tariffs are doing because people don't know what to do. And when there's uncertainty, that's what, that's what occurs. So in light of this, uh, you know, China's move uh, seemed very, very astute this week. You know, they uh, just, they just, you know, just as appeared the U.S. stock market had adjusted the trade war dynamics and the Fed cutting short-term rates, et cetera, et cetera, China shifted to the offense and announced a whole set of new tariffs. So, um, look, the pundits who declared China at a disadvantage in this trade war by comparing their much larger export economy with our huge domestic economy are being very oversimplistic, okay? So uh, I'll just leave it at that. Uh, you know, a couple things. Uh, first of all, Warren Buffett has been very, very quiet. Okay? Say that again. Warren Buffett has been very, very quiet. And, you know, I've been talking about this big, huge gap between value and growth, value and growth, value and growth. Uh, And I'm just going to – I had lunch uh, about 20 years ago, it was, with John Sir John Templeton. And what a classy guy he was. Man, he was – he – I left in a state, you know, a state of awe. He was a very classy guy and a very smart guy. And he said something to me that I thought was very interesting. And I've, I've, I wrote it down on the napkin and I, I actually had it framed and I still have it to this day. It was a, it was a cloth napkin. So I, I sort of swiped it from the restaurant because I couldn't, you know, I didn't want to forget it. And it's four words and it always costs you money. This time it's different. It's look the most predictive part of the treasury yield is is you know telling you something all right and so yeah I, I guess my question is is the real bubble and I mean German bonds or Italian bonds you know with their, their negative yields now uh, if you'd never heard of Michael Burry Michael Burry was the gentleman who shorted mortgage bonds by almost a billion dollars worth on leverage. Back in 2007 and 8, and he made a fortune. Well, this is what he says now. 
The Big Short's Michael Burry sees a bubble in passive investing. Now, this is not Tim Hayes. Tim Hayes has been talking about this for a while. Uh, he shot the fame, uh, you know, during the mortgage crisis. And Burry now, as Burry says, I now see a contrarian opportunity emerging from what he calls the bubble in passive investing. As money pours into exchange-traded funds and other index track, tracking products to skew towards big companies, Barry says smaller value stocks are being unduly neglected around the world. I've been saying that for a long, long time, so I'll just leave it at that. Um, you know, look, we are coming on September, okay? September has not been a great month for the stock market uh, traditionally. Uh, we've had some mixed reviews. There's been some good Septembers. There's been some bad Septembers. Uh, but if historically, gold, crude, bonds, and real estate do best in September. The stock market does not. <laughs> I'll just leave it at that, okay? Uh, I could talk about all sorts of things, and et cetera, et cetera. I did notice the, bull, the bullish percent for consumer non-cyclicals went into a column of X's this week, so that's important. The most improved asset classes this week were precious metals, which we, if you were on my list, you got the, you got the note. Uh, you know, I, I talked to a guy the other day. He says, well, I, I, I didn't buy any. He says, what are you on my list for? He says, well, I'm never sure of what you're sending me. And I said, my clients are. <laughs> anyway, U.S. government long bond is second and consumer non-cyclical is third. So uh, I found that interesting that the best performing and best uh, and most improving asset classes the other thing I, I noticed is that a lot of the home builders and home builder ETFs are starting to break out. Uh, you know, I saw, you know, like five, six different uh, home building stocks break out this week. Uh, so, you know, that's a group that, you know, I talked about a while back. It took a little, it broke out, took a dip, and then broke out again. So, um, anyway, look, I, I think, uh, you know, I, I've been looking at dynamic asset level investing. I think right now you got to expect the unexpected, but. Domestic equities still have the most votes. International equities are second, you know, down by about 10%. Fixed income, a little bit below that. Commodities are real low. And, and by the way, uh, Monday I'm sending out something on Bob from Bob Dickey, so you'll see it. But uh, cash looks uh, just okay. And currencies have not had a really good uh, time over the last couple of years. So if I, if I rank these things, uh, you know, the commodities are this way. Gold's first, oil's second. The industrial metals and mining are third, and agriculture are fourth. And the the last two have negative returns this year. So, um, you know, we always talk about zone investing, uh, the bell curve and all that good stuff. And, you know, in zone one is the most bullish. That's when things are oversold. Zone two, next bullish. And then zone six, obviously, uh, is when things are overbought. And we're going to talk about this more right after the break here. But uh, you know, what you do is you buy the put in zone six, you buy the call in zone one. This is uh, Jim Yates' old uh, option report. Hey, let's uh, talk about this a little bit more right after the break. Stay tuned. IPC. Hi, we're back. Uh, this is Smart Investor Show. I'm Tim Hayes. And, and we were just talking about Jim Yates, uh, who I met several times in Chicago. Uh, he was a great guy. Uh, phenomenal guy he left us too early, but he set up a thing uh, basically based on uh, statistics and, you know, when stocks are overbought versus oversold. And uh, so, and then he, he set up option strategies to, to do that. Okay. When stocks are in zone six, you buy a put or you write a call. When you're in zone one, you buy a call, sell a put. All right. So what, what the reason I bring this up is that generally the best time to buy stocks is when they're most, the majority of them are zone one, two, and three. Uh, now two and three are the areas where most of the stocks are at this point. So we're getting to that overbought or oversold zone, which means that, you know, soon, uh, you know, we may have, you know, after a little bit, remember I've been talking now for about three, four quarters that I thought the fourth quarter would be the big quarter. Uh, and I think that's going to continue for a while. So it's, it'll probably be sloppy trading for a little bit longer, uh, you know, and, and then we'll see what happens in the fourth quarter. You know, I, I, I talked, I read an article this week and it, and it, it cracked me up because I always talk about metaphors. Uh, and, you know, I always talk about, okay, you know, what's the best idea, you know, that type of thing. And 
uh, I always have sayings on my show and whatever. But, you know, I looked at um, some trading absolutes, okay? And I saw uh, there's some metaphors and three absolute rules that apply to them. Trade what you know and know what you trade. In other words, don't stray from the boundaries of, of your comp, uh, competence or competence. I'm sorry. The temptations to do so will confront you. I have a gentleman I've been talking to. He, I don't know if he's going to open an account with me or not. Uh, you know, sometimes things take longer than they should. And he's trading ETFs, and he has no clue what they're doing. I guarantee you, I've talked to him, and, and I, I love the guy. I think he's a great guy, but he's he keeps telling me, you know, this is, you know, I'm doing this, I'm doing that. And he has no clue what he's doing. <laughs> and I, I, I tell him that, you know, because I, I don't really hold back very often. And uh, I think he's going to get burned one of these times. And, uh, you know, he, he buys triple, you know, triple uh, uh, ETFs that, that triple the downside and triple the upside, that type of thing. And he doesn't know that they reset every day. He didn't know that. Okay. So know what you trade. Know your investing time frame and trade that your time frame. Okay. Look, I bought some Uber. I didn't like it. I sold it. Okay. Didn't like the way it acted. I sold it. So uh, I've had a lot of stocks that I started out as a trade and turned into an investment. PayPal. Uh, you know, I, I said on the show a long, long time ago, uh, you know, uh, when I was legal to talk about individual equities by eBay because they're going to spin off PayPal. Well, they did, and uh, I, I didn't keep eBay. I kept PayPal, and it, it did very, very well for a long, long time. Uh, but it was a trade, and it turned into an investment for some people. Uh, some guys took the trade they did, that's because that's what they do, uh, but that's, you know, whatever. But, look, the sharks lure you into the water with the big fish stories are the same sharks that will eat you alive, <laughs> right? And, you're, you know, you're swimming with sharks a lot of these times, so you remember that, you know? Know thyself. The markets are an expensive place to discover who you really are. Trust me, I've, uh, you know, I had a guy who was telling me he was just selling options, just selling options, and then the options went against him. He got killed. So, uh, look, you know, Tesla delivered over ninety-five thousand cars last quarter alone. And uh, what I thought was interesting uh, is they're talking about this being a non-polluting scenario. And call it unintended consequences, but a single electric car battery weighs about a thousand pounds, has the average life of seven years. Fabricating one requires processing for more than five hundred thousand pounds of raw material somewhere on the planet. Uh, for now, I'll stay with gasoline cars. It's that simple. All right. Uh, here's some other stuff. You know, I <laughs> we're getting we're not there yet, but. I think it could be trick-or-treat time for global equities. Uh, you know, the charts are indicating that, uh, you know, we're, we're oversold, but we're still declining on some of the, uh, you know, the momentum indicators and uh, some mo- mo- momentum oscillators, I should say. And the advanced decline line oscillator is very oversold. So it could be um, an interesting scenario. Now, one thing I will say is that bonds have d- done a lot better than I thought they would. And, you know, I, I mentioned bonds, uh, my buddy Bud, <laughs> who uh, I, I, talk, I talk to very uh, regularly, says, how come you haven't been talking about bonds? Well, you may recall that we talked about them back in March and April and May of 2018. And preferreds have gone crazy. The REITs have gone crazy. The utilities have gone crazy. So I, I don't think it now is the time to buy bonds. I, I just hold back. Uh, Everybody says they're going to zero. They're talking about a recession and all that. And, and that may be well and good, but, you know, the Federal Reserve is raising interest rates and bonds are really, really oversold. Now, a lot of people talking about gold. Uh, and, and I just, you know, like I said, the last couple of weeks, CNBC is now caught on to gold and they're really pumping it. Um, I would suggest gold's going higher, but I think it's going to have a pause first. So uh, there you go. Now, one thing I will say is I looked at all the, the FANG stocks and the large cap tech stocks, and a lot of them have broken uptrend lines, broken, you know, uh, sh- this is short-term basis now, okay? So I think tech uh, is idling, and it'll be interesting to see if they hold. Uh, there's been a couple that didn't, that, that look okay, and there's quite a few that don't look so good or are very, very overbought. So, uh, you know, be careful. Um on a lot of these things, uh, there, there are some things that, 
are starting to worry me a little bit. Like some of the fintech stocks are making uh, lower highs and they're up a lot. So there you go. In the meantime, um, a lot of the high-profile retailers have performed better over the summer months. Uh, Walmart, Target, you know, a lot of those names uh, have, have gone nuts. So um, it will be interesting to see that some that are down, you know, like Nordstrom's down and, and uh, Macy's is down, Dillard's is down, if they turn around. Uh, that would be very, very positive. I think that would be that value scenario coming back, okay? Uh, anyway, um, you know, I looked at uh, several – by the way, there's there's other ones that had bad news and they went down and rallied back up, uh, and I think, I think that's really interesting too. Um, but, you know, I looked at like U.S. apparel retailers, the – if I look at the uh, some of the charts, they're they're not looking that great. But uh, uh, you know, I have a, a good friend, and uh, she's very very bright. And she was talking to me about uh, you know charts, and she's a great chartist. Okay, and she she's going to be, I think, uh, one of the best chartists I've ever talked to. She's she's about fifteen years younger than me, uh, but she's out in Philadelphia. Anyway, she, she, we were going over some charts, and uh, she pointed out a lot of stocks that have been holding up well that are in the value area. And she's also talked about a, a lot of stocks that, you know, are not acting well that are in the value area. And it's really important in that, you know, as she said, in the value area to make sure that your relative strength is very, very high, okay? Because that's the only ones that are holding up, uh, you know, the it, we don't see evidence yet, but I, I think, you know, there will be a change. I just don't uh, know when. So I guess this week, you know, we, we had that 800 or 500 point move down on Friday. And the question is, is it a gut punch or is it a retest? You know, we, we won't know for a while. Uh, we are coming into a seasonally weak period of the year. So remember that. Investors are very, very pessimistic. Uh, the American Association of Individual Investors hit a new low this week. Uh People are are bailing out left and right. That is usually a good sign. You've got the 30-year Treasury now, the yield of the 30-year Treasury below the S&P 500 yield. That's usually a very, very good thing. And the intermediate term momentum suggests uh, probably a penny rebound, maybe late third quarter, early fourth quarter, I would suggest. Uh, uh, You know, discretionary stocks are still in the lead. Um, I noticed entertainment software uh, looks like they're starting to bottom finally after getting killed. So we'll, we'll look at those too. But, you know, uh, last week uh, I mentioned, you know, there was a bounce that could occur in the S&P 500. We got a little bit of a bounce and then it bounced right back down. So uh, the momentum, short-term momentum, has, which had negatively diverged in late uh, July and early August, continues to show evidence of, of building positively. So that, that might be something to work with. And then our, you know, your weekly momentum oscillator probably goes down a little bit further and then uh, tracks back up. Now, one thing I did notice is that the Russell 2000 stalled and then started to pick up very nicely in the last couple of months. Uh, and growth versus value, uh, we still see no evidence that the value is picking up. Uh, so until that happens, and I'll mention this again, the Citicorp economic surprise is down where, where the, the economy bottoms mostly. Also, you know, we, we keep talking about this AAII bullish sentiment. Uh, the bulls are at a low we haven't seen since the bottom and like, you know, in a couple major bottoms. Some of the um, foreign markets I noticed, you know, broke out of a downtrend, went up and then pulled right back down to the downtrend line. So it'll be interesting to see if they hold uh, both the emerging markets and some of the uh, the bigger markets. And the 10-year notes continue to hit uh, new lows. Uh, the all-time low is one6 Three six, we end. Uh, we ended last week at one point four four. We're now at one point four eight, and the thirty year Treasury hit an all time new low this week on on the yield below two percent for the first time ever. What's interesting though is that the junk high yield ETFs are not showing signs of lookout below. Now the dollar, you know, broke its uptrend line, but it's holding up. Uh, sometimes what you see is is uh, this type of chart it becomes a sideways pattern. You know, corrections occur one or two ways. They correct. It's either a time correction where the, where the stock or the bond or whatever it is goes sideways for a long time or 
It's a price correction. Now, uh, it did, it broke out and then made a lower high. It, it broke the downtrend line uh, and then made a lower high. So got to watch that very, very closely. Gold still looks good. It's just up uh, near the top of its trend line again. And you got to, like I said, you want to, you want to buy things uh, when they've gone down a little bit. Don't be chasing them. Uh, don't don't be running after things. You know that doesn't make sense at all. Um, I, I would suggest right now would be a great time to get our dividend growth list uh, or a prime income list uh, because the yields here are much higher than bonds. So uh, you know you chase yield only when it's up. Okay, not when it's down like this. Remember. Back in March, when I first started talking about buying yield that was up, and you can, by the way, you can look. They have the they have the shows on WHK fourteen twenty. You go to the local podcast, you can go back to those shows. But now would be a good time for the dividend growth and the prime income list. We'll be right back. Okay, we're back. If you just tuned in, I, uh, you know, I was just mentioning if you the dividend growth portfolio and the prime income list are two, two things you want, really want to be looking into. I think uh, at this point, there, you know, with the thirty-year Treasury at one point nine four, I think it was when we closed Friday. Uh, usually, dividends are, uh, you know, the S and P five hundred. You're looking at a two point five percent dividend. If you're growing that dividend, you're probably in a good spot for a while. I did notice that the you know, the Japanese yen, which had broken its downtrend line and then broke like a triple top a while back, uh, has pulled back. And I'm looking at some of the ETFs, okay, uh, not the actual yen, um, but they're all the same chart. So, um, so you know, that that's interesting. You know, why is the yen breaking out? Uh, and, you know, we don't know the answer yet, but when we find it out, I have some theories, but uh, when we find it out, we'll let you know. Uh, we talk about the bullish percent every week, and the bullish percent is kind of our main risk guide. And uh, it's a chart that was de- developed back in the 30s by people who wanted to be bullish at the bottom and bearish at the top. So it goes from 0 to 100. When you get over 70, that's usually the red zone. Everything's cooking real hot, and uh, you know all your stocks are up, and you're real happy. That's when you should be paranoid. When things are down and out, and uh, we get below 30 on this chart, uh, that's when you want to be loading up, okay? Or especially when it when it starts to turn. You know, if it comes down, it's still still down a while, for a while. But when it starts to turn, that's when you want to take a look. Now, a column of X's means we have the offensive team on the field, and a column of O's is meaning we're going to be defensive. But remember, like back in two thousand seven, two thousand eight, domestic equities were the lowest on the relative strength scale. Now they're the highest. So. If you make a mistake, you might you might get some help. Okay, so uh, just remember that. Anyway, the the point is is that we're in a column of O's right now. We we broke down at fifty two. We're now at thirty seven. We're down one point five percent for the for the week. Uh, the over the counter index uh, is thirty four. It was down a percentage point, and the world index is down at thirty two point nine. So they're all in O's, uh, but they're getting close. You know, they're getting into the thirties. So. You want to pay particular attention there, I think, because if we get below 30 and turn back up, we might have another great buying opportunity. You know, it's been over a month since the S&P 500 hit a new closing high, just shy of 3,020. That was on July 4th, 24th, I think. And the Standard Poor's is now down 6% since that time. And there's been quite a bit of volatility, both up and down since the... I mean, we, the S&P 500 has moved 1% up or down in 11 of the 24 trading days. That's 46% of the time. That's a lot, okay? So, you know, you think about that and you say, wow. Well, the net result has been some deterioration in the form of uh, the indicators. And, by the way, the bullish percent comes to us via our friends uh, Dorsey Wright in, in Virginia. Uh, Tom and uh, Watson, I, I, think are reti- I think Watson retired. Uh, and now the NASDAQ owns them, but uh, so we'll say this now from our friends at NASDAQ. But... Um, the bullish percent reversing in, uh, to O's in early August and also uh, failing to to a recent low of 38% is big, I think. This back-and-forth action in the market over the past months after the initial sell-off has, has resulted in a lot of 
interesting chart developments. And the lot of triangle formations uh, is one of the patterns that consists of a series of lower lower highs and higher lows. And uh, if if it breaks the bullish triangle to the upside, it can be very positive. If it breaks it to the downside, it can be very negative. Uh, there's all sorts of names like that, uh, and so you got you. I think you got to be careful with them, but uh, you know, um, there's the biggest company in the world has one right now. As a matter of fact, so but, but I looked and there's just a, a ton of these triangle patterns out there, which probably leads that you know, hey, we're either breaking to the north or we're breaking to the south, and we're not sure now. Most of the indexes still look good long term. They've just had negative momentum for four or five weeks now. And I'm talking about almost everything, uh, you know, the Dow, the mid cap, the small cap, the QQQs, the um, equal weight and the uh, capitalization weight uh, S&P 500 ETF. So there we go. Um, we're still seeing, uh, well, let's put it this way. You know, a lot of people have been talking about growth first value, and I've been talking about it quite a bit, too. Uh, and large cap growth and mid cap growth have offered uh, some good scores on the Dorsey Wright system and in my my book too. Uh, and, and if you look over the last thirty days, so the recent performance last thirty days, the largest dis- dispersions between mid cap growth and value with a thirty day uh, three hundred seventeen score, which means the mid cap growth is kicking uh, value's butt right at the moment, and uh, that's about it. And so. There's a 3.17% differential in the performance. So uh, growth is obviously doing much better than value at this point. So uh, we leave it at that. Now, we also look at the bullish percent for all the groups that we look at, and there's only six that are positive. There's six that are favored right now. And electric utilities, you remember they were 80 two months ago, are now at, at 64.60. Uh, waste management's at 60. Uh, that's been moving up, by the way, and in recessions, by the way, you still got to take out the trash. Remember that. And, you know, precious metals, which was down in the 30s, in the 20s, actually, is now at 50, and so is not real estate. And Wall Street's at 40, and then there's one that's favored and it's below 30, so it's turning back up, and that's protection services. So we do have... Um, almost... Uh, 15 different sectors. There's only 40 in general that are below 30 right now. So we could have a turn back up, and that would be, I think, very, very positive on a lot of those. Uh, this is the longest I've ever seen uh, since basically March. We we haven't had more than seven positive sectors or eight positive sectors. No, I think we had 11 for a couple weeks. But So we haven't had a lot of positive sectors, and it's been a long, long time. And just shows that the market is just moving back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Semiconductors this week moved just to average status, and steel and food are still – steel moved up from totally unfavored to uh, just unfavored, and food moved down to unfavored. So we're seeing a lot of hard-nosed rotation in the market, and uh, that's something that you, you – uh, you see a lot when there's not a lot of money in the market. Just remember, this year, uh, $290 billion have come out of the stock market. And by the way, it came. most of it came out in the first month on the first rally. So people missed the whole thing. And I was, uh, you know, uh, I was talking to the folks at Marshfield who, uh, you know, we had at our uh, meeting uh, back in uh, March and you know they've had they've had a great year and, and last year they weren't down they were up so uh they, <laughs> they were talking about uh you know how it pays to be patient and uh, it, it's very very true now i look at international equities and you know one of the groups that had a really good first part of the year was greece and i looked at a lot of greek etfs and uh you know they broke out and they pulled back. It's the same thing for the EEM and the and you know the EFA and a bunch of other names. They they broke out. They've pulled back all the way to where their support level is, and uh, they're relatively oversold. And it'll be interesting to see how they you know if they turn. Uh, Switzerland was one that broke out, pulled back, and didn't pull back as far. So be that that's another you know I've 
there's about 10 or 12 of those uh, that we looked at. And, you know, I was looking at a fixed income update. You know, uh, you know I, I, think, I think the simplest way to protect a fixed income por- portfolio if there's a rise in interest rates is to shorten its duration. If you don't know what duration is, you shouldn't be handling your own portfolio. But dur- duration measures how sensitive the price of security is to the change in interest rates. You know, the higher the duration the higher the interest rate sensitivity, obviously, therefore, the, the value of duration securities tends to deteriorate quickly in a rising rate environment. So one of the primary factors that determines duration is maturity. And uh, all else equal, a security with a longer maturity will have a higher duration. Uh, in a normal rate environment, one with an upward sloping yield curve, this typically also means lowering your yield. Okay? So one way to offset a, a loss of yield from reducing du- um, from reducing your duration is increasing exposure to high yield bonds. Um, now, high yield bonds are typically issued with shorter maturities relative to other t- types of bonds. Just so you know, and they've been holding up. Okay, uh, floating rate securities is another way of doing it. And uh, you know, floating. If you don't know what a floating rate security is, um, what they do is they set a predetermined uh, spread to a reference rate. Maybe it's LIBOR or something like that, which is going away pretty soon. And then it resets at fixed intervals. So you really don't have any principal risk because it's going to reset one way or another. Uh, you have some risk to your principal during the, to- the reset period, obviously. But because the next coupon reset is never too far off, the price of the floating rate securities will not move significantly, you know, due to changes in, in rates, right? So that might be a pretty good idea right now. Um, so I just think, you know, you know, look, there's a lot of ways you can hedge your portfolio uh, and I, I'll come back to convertible bonds, you know, which are a hybrid security of both debt and equity, which we talked about earlier. They give the bondholder the, the right, but not the obligation, to exchange the bond for a predetermined number of shares. Uh, so th- they are kind of like an equity hedge and a bond hedge. And I talked about them earlier in the show. I think that's a great idea right now. Uh, also, we looked at commodities. The only commodity that's been positive momentum for the last four or five weeks has been gold kind of emphasize that in our email to everybody. Uh, but oil and, and uh, copper have been uh, negative for five weeks. And ever since corn had a big run, it, it's been dead in, in its tracks. Um, we'll just leave it at that. And we talk about relative strength changes. And uh, when we go to a buy, these are names that you probably want to remember. We're taking the economy and we're moving it down to a, a small area. But Hallmark Financial, Ingalls uh, Market, uh, I talked to Mr. Ingalls one time. He's a very bright guy. Uh, Medtronic, Pan American Silver, Red Robin Gourmet Burgers, Target Corp, Tyson Foods, LGI Homes, Floor and Decor Holdings, Target Corp, Target Corporation, you know them, uh, Curo Holdings, Front Door, and Fastly. Uh, and then on the sell side, uh, Banco Bardisco, which is Brazilian, Dine Equity, International Flavors, Wasabi Trust, Raven Industries, Geospace Technologies, TG Therapeutics, Bluebird Bio, Grubhub, Avanos Medical, and Marathon Oil. So those are names that, uh, you know, look, you don't have to go out and sell them, uh, but you want to check your fundamentals, I think, because uh, you want the technicals and the fundamentals to work together. We'll be right back. Stay tuned. This is Smart Investor Show. Okay, we're back. Uh, I'm just thinking of how I'm gonna, how much golf I'm gonna play over the Labor Day weekend. Uh, although I think my wife and her sister are in town, and I probably end up going to the Canfield Fair. I was just uh, talking about the Canfield Fair earlier. Earlier, I remember I had one of their sausage sandwiches, and I think on the second bite I started heartburn, and it lasted for three days. So I have fond memories of the place. <laughs> anyway, now we talk about insiders and. Uh, you know, insiders are important because they know their company better than we know our com- uh, the company, I guarantee you. If they're sitting on the board and they're buying, uh, you know, you pay attention. And it, I look at big quantities. I don't look at, you know, uh, if they bought a 1,000 shares and there's four people who bought a 1,000 shares. I'm looking for big purchases. Uh, and 
you know, I'll just leave it at that. I look for big, big purchases. Now, I don't know if you know uh, Bill Sturitz, but he's the chairman of the board of Post Holdings. Now, he used options on this one, but he bought 500,000 shares one day, and then two days later, he bought 900,000. Now, he paid 55 for them, but he did not sell them. Okay? That's a big, big, you know, that's 14, 1.4 million shares. He did not sell them. That's a lot. So, I options, you know, use, you know, when people buy with options, I usually say, yeah, 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 you know. But anyway, Weiss Asset Management announced a 5.6% stake in CAI International. Uh, if you don't know who Weiss Asset Management are, they're a really deep value manager, and they're they're very good at what they do. So CAI International, um, this is an interesting stock because it's cheap. Boy, is it cheap. And um, it's, it's kind of hard to describe what they do, but uh, it's something to think about. Also, for you guys who, gals who like watches, uh, Fossil Group, uh, Craig McQuinn, uh, he's an executive vice president, president bought $985,000 worth, then he bought $685,000 worth, then he bought $340,000 worth. And then uh, Darren Hunt, who's uh, also an exec, he's a senior vice president, uh, he bought $200,000. So, um, by the way, I understand that Gary, uh, I mean, Greg, uh, I think it's McQuellen, or McQuillan, I can't read my own handwriting, uh, is, is very influential in the company. So, leave it at that. Donnelly Financial Solutions, uh, we had a director buy $2.37 million, and then two days later he bought $1.2 million worth. That's not chump change. And here's one that I used to own, Wayfair. Uh, a director uh, bought $2.3 million worth and then bought another $875,000 worth. This is a $170 stock, which is now one hundred eight. dollars um, So... It's interesting. You like seeing them buy, uh, you know, when they're down. And then Continental Grain. This is the second major purchase of Bungie Corporation. Uh, they bought the first uh, chunk of it back in July at 56. They bought some in June, too. And now the price has come back to where it was about in June, uh, about 52. And they bought $5.228 million worth and then $1.308. They are Bungie's largest shareholder. And here's one that's really down and out. Uh, community health centers or health systems. Uh, it's psychiatric, uh, hospitals and psychiatric, uh, outpatient stuff. And the CEO bought a million dollars worth and he bought $911,000 worth two days later. And then two days later, about $468,000 worth. It's the first purchase by an insider in this company in a long, long time. So I'll just leave it at that. And here's one that's really interesting, I think, because this stock is cheap. Intel. Bob Swan, CEO, bought $498,000. He's brand new, brand new CEO. And then the CFO, the guy that used to work for him when he was CFO, he bought $210,000 worth. Uh, so Intel's an interesting one. And then a local company, which is down quite a bit. Uh, it was $190 stock. Now it's 167 But Linda Hardy is a director of pa- Parker Hannifin, bought $475,000 worth. I think that's in- interesting. And then East West Side Bank Corp. Um, Dominic Nig, he's the CEO. He bought 610000 and 247000 uh, the next day. 660000 I'm sorry, then 247000 And then an executive vice president bought 250000 and then the CFO bought 250000 Love when CFOs buy things. And Richard Kinder of Kinder Morgan is still buying his stock. Uh, you know, he's, he's bought it at 15. He's bought it at 18. He's bought it at 22. He's, now it's 1997. He bought, just bought another $2.65 million, followed up two days later with $2.21 million. So there we go. You know, um, I was looking at the Commodities Research Bureau Index. I, I had a very nice couple in uh, Friday morning. I, uh, very nice people. And um, I was showing them the Commodity Research Bureau Index, and this thing's down like 75% from its high back in 2008 and 2009. So, you know, we're looking at prices that we haven't seen since 1973. 
in a lot of commodities. And what's really interesting is is Bob Dickey this week put out a, a thing, and I'm going to send this chart out to a lot of people, I think. And one of the concerns that economists have with this economic growth remains low, and low inflation, low in- interest rates have been both possible indications and partial causes of the slower growth period, okay? So commodity prices have been low for the past four years and are still trending lower and could be one of the bed- better indicators of economic growth or lack thereof uh, for the economy. So on one hand, the, this period of slower growth has, has prevented the economy, uh, economy from overheating and has been a net positive for the stock market. The most recent trend of, of commodity prices shows further weakness with a possible break to the new lows. If that's the case, you know, I think we've got a bigger problem. So, uh, you know, look, this, this has been a wild August. But since the, the first couple of days sell-off or the end of you know July and the first couple of days of sell-off, We've been kind of neutral. We've been we've been between you know uh, twenty five five hundred and twenty six five hundred. So it's been about a thousand point range, and it's been up and down, up and down, up and down. But it's been in that thousand point range. So um, it's it's you know as I think Bob Dickey had it right. He said uh, you know Bob's our head technician. He said neutral in a wild world. And look, the trading ranges for the index over the past months uh, continue despite large amount of potentially concerning news uh, that's crossing the tape on a daily basis. You know, you got that, you know, <laughs> everybody giving Trump a hard time. Uh, boy, he, they're not give, giving up on him at all. And you got the tariffs. You've got the flattening yield curve. Uh, there's tension in Iran. You know, uh, it, it, there's all sorts of things going on out there. And yet we're still in this, you know, basically 4% five percent range uh you know that we've been going through so um you know you you look at the the 10-year yield and it's back to where it was just three times uh it's, it's not exactly there yet but you know in june of 2016 it got to uh 1.36 and then back in 2012 it got down to 1.4 so uh, both of those in the Obama administration, and now we're down to 1.44. So it'll be interesting to see if we break a new low. And I look, the the, the financial press is full of commentary on interest rates, where where they may be headed, and what might be the implications for the economy and the stock market. And I think the recent inversion by parts of the yield curve has forecasters guessing, you know, what possible when a possible recession may arrive. What makes this analysis even more difficult is the fact that interest rates are now lower than they were in any time in history. And and while there are other similarities in historical periods, using past experiences to predict predict the future outcome is is usually you know be sometimes it may be less helpful, especially in the current environment. So I think the concerns about interest rates in world economies are high, as they have been for several years, by the way. But this has kept some long term investors' confidence at fairly low levels during the the curse of the bull market of the past ten years, and we you know. It's you were walking up the the wall of worry, okay? So we wonder if if you only listened to the news of the world situation and did not know the level of the stock market, where you might guess it would be. Uh, you know, I mean, just think about it. If you heard all the news out there, would you think the stock market has been up in an uptrend for ten years? I mean, think about it. Uh, you know. Remember the old Wall Street adage that bull markets die in euphoria. Man, back in 2000, everybody thought the Internet was going to take over the world. It's different this time. It's different this time. I heard it a thousand times on CNBC. There's no euphoria out there, folks. I mean, people are just they're stepping on themselves. There's reasons to stay out of the, mar- the market. The reasons to stay out of this. There's no euphoria. We're not near the top. That's Tim Hayes' prediction. Uh, you know, it's different this time. Could we have a recession? Yeah, we could have a recession. And it, the market's probably been telling us that. You know, when the market goes down at 19%, 19.8%, 20% is a bear market. goes down 19.8%. It's as close to a bear market as we're going to get. That was back in December. All right, so maybe maybe the we've turned down, but we're in a cyclical we're in a structural bull market. We're in a cyclical bear. Okay, so 
Everybody's negative. Just remember that. So what would I do right now? Well, here's what I'd be doing. I'd be looking at yields that are higher than the 30-year and the 10-year treasuries. I'd be looking at the dividend growth portfolio. I would be looking at the prime income list. I'd be starting to think about, you know, how I could use these in my portfolio. I know two stocks that are in the prime income list that I've been watching very, very carefully. Bought the one, haven't bought the other yet. Uh, but, you know, they have great yields. They're good companies. Do good companies stumble occasionally? Yes, they do. That's when you're supposed to buy them. <laughs> okay? That's when you have to step up to the plate and say, you know, does my homework say that this is a good company? Is it going higher? And if your homework says it is, that's when you buy it. That's why I do do read read all this stuff every week. <laughs> so it's, it's uh, you know, we have a scenario where I think we may be sloppy for the rest of the quarter maybe. But late in the third quarter, early in the fourth quarter, this four-year cycle that I've been talking about is coming. So the dividend growth portfolio, the prime income list, and our best idea list. I think that's a wonderful one. Um, absolutely wonderful. So those are some th- things I'd be looking at right now. In the meantime, it's Labor Day weekend. Have yourself a great time. Hit the barbecues, uh, sauce, and all that good stuff, and get and have a great time. From the Smart Investor Show, have a great holiday. This is Tim Hayes. Buy low, sell high. Thanks for listening to the Smart Investor Hour. To reach Tim during the week, call him toll-free, 888-223-7742. That's 888-223-7742. Or visit his website, rbcwmfa.com slash Tim Hayes. That's all one word in the address bar, rbcwfma.com slash Tim Hayes. Please join us again next Saturday for the Smart Investor Hour to hear more smart investing from Tim Hayes of RBC Wealth Management. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.